Let's uh, spend some time in coming to <coughs> presence in this room, this time. This is always uh, basic practice is to come into the present and there's a general sense of that which is um, tuning, tuning in, steadying, balancing the body, finding the balance in the body. The specific sense of it is, is how we are right now, acknowledging that. So to come from where we are right now and uh, just, just kind of acknowledge that, the mood, physical state, energetic state, and don't try to change it anyway. Don't try to change it, feeling not so good, not inspired, or, you know, awkward, uncomfortable. Don't try to change it, try to actually hold back that See if you can rest a little bit within that. It's not a matter of falling asleep or but sensing in to the resistances or the the, the the kind of reactions we have to pull out or get things going or stop something happening. Stop that. Feel how whatever mind state is occurring or procession of mind states occurring, try to sense within that how your body is, if you can feel all your body. Just begin by tuning into the body, attending to the bodily's body's ease, its need for ease, its need for balance. Is there anything in a body that isn't present, is all the body present? Back, chest, the throat, the face, the arms, the hands, the belly, is it all there? Is there anything that's holding or forced, clenched, that could be asked to relax a little? any effort that we're making that we don't need to make. And the guideline, the guiding reference in sitting meditation in terms of the body is the spinal axis, which is uh, a sense, felt sense that approximates to the spinal structure. And it's not a matter of entirely getting your anatomy to line up in a straight line, but to feel a sense of um, uprightness. And so this is more important than the legs the legs and sitting in a chair 
whatever we do with the legs is really just there to provide a base for the spine to rise up from the tail, the sacrum, the, the pelvic region and through the waist, the midriff, so lengthening the waist and you might imagine in fact that we were even what it would be like if we were hanging upside down That's that sense of a lift, which is more a lift of release and coming out of compression than pushing yourself. It's like, what would it be like if there were no weight pressing me down? What would it be like if there was uh, no weight in my shoulders? be like if the chest was open and just suggesting these things and avoid the tendency to, to push and shove the body around but just give these suggestions and see if you can allow it to sense its way into the extended open buoyant state Sometimes the um, one of the difficulties we have is that the body is slightly compressed or compacted because of bracing itself against impact, other people, things happening, be ready, be alert, get going, and tighten up, tightens up to resist to brace itself, to get ready. So, even though we know in our heads maybe they don't need that, so the body needs to be told that. And a bit at a time, like what would be like if you was completely safe, you were just sitting in a big space in a bathtub, you know, warm, friendly atmosphere, nothing to do. What would that be like? How would that feel? How would your arms feel? So we might just spend some time moving attention up the spinal channel, up the axis um, shoulder blades coming down the back, resting the shoulder blades down the back, letting the arms be lengthened in so the sockets of the arms feel very open, just as if you were hanging upside down. So around the sockets in particular, the joints are the places where the, the holding and the contraction sets in. So it's there that you can actually start to physically unwind and release. 
letting your arms hang down and then to the shoulder blades coming down your back and then the head all the stuff around your head which is where a lot of the impact is held because this is where we meet the world through our faces so this is where a lot of holding goes on we'll just begin with a sense of the jaw loosening and the tongue resting in the base of the mouth as if it's just curled up like a puppy in a basket and if you do that you may feel both a slight sense of release in the temples and also in the occiput where the neck joins the skull if you tense up your tongue you feel the occiput tightens up and one of the advantages of being on a silent retreat you don't have to use your tongue and then to really relax it so you get the sense of an opening in the back of the head take a long deep breath out Send some attention around the eye sockets. The eyes are just the eyeballs can just float in these sockets. So if you have your eyes open, the gaze is oceanic and distant both the eyeball itself and the pupil of the eye, the muscles around the pupil are also relaxed. This very much affects the mind state. Your gaze is pointed or open. the eyes and the uh, are relaxed then the space comes to meet us and wraps around us it's no longer a sense of distance, objects being distant space becomes an intimate um, refuge place rather than a place of dislocation distance or stuff impacting can feel all around you the envelope of your own your own space
across your forehead from the center of the forehead sensing the brows the sensations in the brows spreading awareness like you're gently soothing, massaging across the eyebrows the, the forehead towards the temple rather if you as if you were undoing a bandage or something wrapped around your head so loosening all that around the head to keep the, the strong sense of the uprightness, the groundedness of the spinal axis there so you've got <coughs> something to moor yourself with if you're getting dizzy or drowsy the sense of that connection to the ground and the firmness of the upright position and relaxing across the top of the chest, the shoulders, the head. And if you um, steadily unwind and the jaw, temples, forehead, begin to, with that release of these facial muscles, scalp comes alive. You can sense the top of the head more alive and more tingle there. And in that sense you can feel, you can finally acknowledge the vast openness above you something you can sense your energy can move into space above you connected to all this openness above you as you breathe in with each in breath you're opening (coughs) filling all this which can never be completely filled there's always a bit more there for you there's always more space isn't any space, it's a sign something is constricting 
So check through the body. Check into the mind. If we feel we have the time and the allowance and that faith to release things, explore. It's okay to be undefended. You get the sense of it, that the upright sense. Play with it a little, teasing, asking yourself, what's right above me? Is it open? Is there strong ground beneath, open space above? Can you get your body to take that in? And the um, direction, lateral sense, so the direction in front of us. This doesn't refer to any particular object that you may see or remember as in front of you, but almost like coming to the skin in your face and the front of your body. And you might imagine, in fact, that 
Um, how is that? Is that is that like something that is um, hard or tight? Could it breathe? What would it be like for that to be touched? Would we welcome that or would we slightly shrink or tighten up around that? Can we, so this area, particularly in front of the body, is where we're often quite screened because a lot of contact is not agreeable or uh, benevolent. So for right now we're just imagining, working on the theme, what's right in front of me is benevolent, warm, could be light, could be warmth, could be soft, furry, tactile, something you really like to nuzzle into, that you really like to touch. And getting there, like the nervous system, the energies to open to that. This is the sense of body sense of enjoyment. Being appreciated and appreciating. Behind, behind us is the protection, protective sense. 
back is there to defend, protect us. Behind us is the possibility of something we can't see. It could be threatening, it could be weighty. So behind us you place the sense of protection. What would it be like if you're really sunk, held, protected from behind? So you have no concern, nothing to be on guard against. Back will feel strong, wide. Two go together. If we don't feel protected, we can't really allow ourselves to be openly enjoying. when these senses can be encouraged tuned to come together body feels a refuge feels present settled and the breathing is very easeful when you're breathing out just drops you feel almost as if the abdomen is like a door that just opens and releases as you breathe out breathing in happens and you feel that breathing in swelling gently up through the body chest, throat feeling of abundance so this uh, breathing remains a kind of barometer if there's any restriction the body because the body isn't happy there's nothing wrong with the breathing it's just giving you an indication your body isn't happy yet so just check your back, check the front, check the ground beneath you, check the space. And rather like you're encouraging something that's often in a mild or severe state of shock. You can't shake it out, you have to coax and encourage it out of the compacted state. finding its own way, its own balance. And 
May this body be well, may I be well. We come out of the meditation, we do this not in a sudden way, but gradually. First thing, establish a sense of the structure of the body, beginning perhaps with the pressure of the body as it rests on the chair, the cushion, beneath you, that sense of having a firm connection to the ground and the sense of the the structure, the firmness of the physical form. Really attend to that, to the earth of that, the earth element. listen through the ears so we come to the second sense is the listening sense which tells us that we're in something something is around us so without losing the sense of the centre so just listening, what's around, the silences, the sounds, feeling yourself okay with that, and then gradually let the eyelids slide back, they're closed, without turning your attention outwards letting the light forms enter without focusing on anything particularly just aware of the sense of seeing 
there being um, distance and forms Let yourself look around if you so wish, or as it feels comfortable. Acknowledging that there are about 60 people here. sharing this space, sharing the air, sharing the environment together, (coughs) moving around, eating together and so on. So, the idea that I'm going to be (coughs) in a little separate bubble from everybody else is not going to work. <laughs> so we might try to just get a feeling of welcoming other people, uh, tolerating, welcoming, hello, those fellow seekers of the struggle. Maybe it will be well. if you feel like it. (coughs) (coughs) So, it's the first part of any retreat or a practice theme of practice is refuge <coughs> sometimes I think this is a bit we skip over as being oh well yeah yeah and then we go on or we think well 
does this mean? I'm some kind of credo, I believe in Buddha. Oh, yes, well, I don't bother with that. Um, but refuge means safe place, um, steady place. Also recognizes that life can be quite, quite a buffeting. And many of us come in with a few bruises and dents, scars, and so forth. Refuge is uh, not an idea, it's uh, something that's a real need for a place of trust, of safety, of welcome, where you don't have to defend, prove something. There's room for me here in this universe. Um, and of course, the quality of Buddha, however, you typify that is the, if you like, the one that can receive, welcome you, give you some guidance, protect you, give you some food, give you some kindness, see you, see you as you are, without judgment, complaint, welcome you into the present moment. So, important to have a sense of that. Very often we can feel that Buddha, for example, the sense of a, is an ideal, someone's a lot better than I am, uh, wiser than I am, better than I am, um, or dead, you know. <laughs> so what? Or better than I am, probably wouldn't like me very much anyway, because you know, I'm all kind of defiled and twisted and doubtful and not very committed and so forth. So we can see the, you know, when you kind of create Buddha as an ideal, then the ideal is something that you just can't reach. So you've got to bring Buddha as a practice, make it pragmatic, something that actually does offer you refuge, doesn't push you down. It's not so high up that it pushes you down. The um, theme of this retreat, the title of this retreat is called Unseating the Inner Tyrant. And so I guess that must have meant something to you otherwise you wouldn't be here so you probably got an idea of what inner tyrant is um, but it's a, a loveless state this is word I, it's a word I give the inner tyrant is a kind of personification of, a, of a, something that's loveless unforgiving, ungracious um, judgmental <coughs> uh, and imprisons us locks us up and demands that we fulfill the tyrant's goals or aims which are, you know. so it's the one who's always saying do something get on and do something <laughs> do it get enlightened damn you get out and do it you know meditation <coughs> rather like that 
And then, well, you didn't do very well, did you? Um, so it does that too. Mm. Generally, it adds, adds specific topics that make it a little more poignant. You know, it doesn't just generalize topics. It says, you know, specific little things it picks up, like a wise person wouldn't have left their shoes there, would they? in that particular place if you're really mindful you wouldn't have dropped that teacup would you so it always picks on particular little things that go wrong and those become you you know your whole life has been about breaking teacups your identity something of that nature or it's something that's always um, fending off the disaster that's about to happen because you're late and you know what that means so it's something that senses the universe as a place of no trust or forgiveness or allowance it's always uh, crucial and critical and urgent and important and there's no tolerance in it and all you can do is run as fast as you can to avoid the punishment that you will no doubt get sooner or later when you can no longer keep up with it. Mm. (laughs) This is the tyrant. But it's your duty to do this because at least while you're working your guts out you can feel some vague sense of alleviation of guilt and self-criticism. You get a mild sense of relief from the more vicious punishments that the tyrant can can um, give not a, a tyrant is not an appreciative kind of uh, being never appreciates anything that you do, anything good that you do just says if it, if it, if it even notices it, it probably says you were trying to prove something by doing that You know, or you, you know, but most likely it doesn't really even notice it very much. Or it could have been better. Tyrant would tend to tell you how you could have been better and not acknowledge how you could have been worse. If the tyrant is at the moment um, um, tired of chewing you out, the tyrant will then turn the situation on the people around you and also say how they should be and aren't and could be if they were really mindful and compassionate they wouldn't have put their shoes there they wouldn't have dropped the teacup they would have done this, that and the other and they wouldn't have done this, that and the other and so it turns externally and it in you know so it's kind of thing can dominate our lives. When it comes into meditation practice, it's when the the tyrannical forms are things that emphasize uh, performance and achievement over presence and enjoyment 
find it um, not unusual because it, it's I think it took my, me about maybe 20 years of meditation practice to actually link the word enjoyment to meditation there's <laughs> <laughs> a different you know, it's not. It's a different language. You know, enjoyment, meditation, different, different areas of experience. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the idea that you can actually meditation was about enjoyment or enjoyable, rather than important, necessary, urgent, ought to do, got to get somewhere, be attentive, concentrate, be sharp, be mindful, but don't enjoy it. Well, it, enjoyment isn't even a term one could apply to it. So actually, once you you can't apply that, when you can't apply that term to meditation, how are you going to keep going? <laughs> how are you going to keep going? Where, where does your where does your vitality come from? Where does your 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 sense of furtherance come from? What drives us into this? Probably most of the time we're trying to fix ourselves. If we worked hard enough we could fix ourselves and no longer be the slightly confused, drifting minded, restless, agitated, vaguely neurotic, um, whatever. Fix all that, and we'd be all right. If only, you know. So perhaps a lot of meditation, certainly, you know, in my own case, is based upon the sense of fixing something so that I will be all right. I'll be completely all right. Fixing something so I will be all right. But I don't really know what all right is. Because this sense of something isn't right. And all that brings fix it. Because actually, I am the problem. Because my mind wanders, and my resolve weakens, and I give in to pain and hanker after pleasure and things like that because of these things I keep trying to fix because I actually am flawed how am I going to fix it? who's going to do the fixing? if I, did, if I could do the fixing I wouldn't need to fix anything because I'd be alright, wouldn't I? <laughs> because, because there's something that needs to be fixed and it's me I can't fix it because I you know so you see that the kind of the logical impossibility of ever fixing yourself. If you could fix yourself, you'd be all right. You wouldn't need to be fixed. So does it ever feel like that? You know, and you can say, well, if only I were mindful enough. If only I were diligent enough, if only I were 
balanced enough, if only I were healthy enough, if only I were, you know, practiced hard enough, if only I were this enough, then. And then just, what would it be? Just fill in the end of what what would it be if you were good enough? What would it be like if you were good enough? Then just try to feel what it would be like to be good enough. Just allow yourself to imagine it for a few moments of just being good enough. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I fixed it. <laughs> it's like you know the sense of you coming out of this the doubt state you know the state of doubt which is always recreating things to feel doubtful about you come to a state of of openness and enjoyment hindrances then don't have a place to hold on to noticed how our lives are so much um, conditioned around doing things we, we don't live anymore we, we make a living <coughs> not alive, we make a living <laughs> you know what do you do for a living <laughs> So when one's conditioning is very much geared to these kind of needs in the social realm, the socialization process is to learn enough so that you'll be good enough to make a good living, sensible, logical, there's that in it. So this is where, you know, the kind of aspect of our experience which is about our social contact. Social contact means my status, my position, my function, my performance. So you have social contact. Human contact is more like, you know, my empathy or just actually this is another human being kind of mothering, fathering befriending, that kind of thing this is human thing there's no status in it really, there's no function in it it's just a sense of empathy and connection on that level so we've got this level of experience 
Um, but then on top of that, you know, which is very primal, you get built in the, the social contact, which is about doing, um, functioning, um, making things work, getting things going, adding things up, reading and writing, doing it quicker, faster, sharper. There are criteria. There's A's and B's and C's. There's top dog and not so good and bottom of class and all that kind of thing. Very much there. And if you're exposed to a predominant amount of that, then naturally one's attention hovers around that all the time. You know, the more it hovers around that, the more it nestles in that, the more your attention begins to establish that as your fundamental mode of your experience in the world. Your fundamental mode, because you put more attention into it. Particularly as you, as a human being, become valued upon your ability as a social entity. Your ability to work, function, add up, read, write, do things, get things done quickly, fast, right, all the time, better. More praise, more warmth, more congratulations are given to you that way and are taken away if you don't. You, know, this is, you may be punished, but certainly you won't get the, the smiles or these kinds of things. So that, you know, if that, if that is a predominant experience in our life, we might say the social, social, um, social contact prevails over the human contact and almost blurs into the human contact. So human contact actually becomes just social contact. Um, around these norms, and the personality develops. As, which is personality is your kind of interface with other on a social level becomes very much uh, attuned and conditioned in that mode mm. I am a successful person I am a good person because you know I can do this and there can be if you like a job and function social, or it could be more other kinds of things, like, you know, I can run faster, I can drive my motorbike faster, I can drink more than anybody else. (laughs) You know, so it's not necessarily pure. These are also social functions. Our ability to derive credits from other people for our ability to sustain, perform things. Not because of what we fundamentally are, because we're doing something. These can be work structures, or they can be um, tribal structures, if you like. You know, who can run fastest, drink le- drink most, do this, that, and the other. You get belong to the club, the gang. So that, and that's me. Then you get the hierarchies set up, and the winners and the losers, and the in crowd and the out crowd. That's all social stuff. Social stuff. Um, and uh, if we don't get some sense of proportion on that, that dominates our ability to have human contact, which is just empathic. You know, this is another human being. They have pleasure and pain. They have warmth and cold. They have physical forms. They have bodies. 
have fear and love and so forth you know pretty much the same as you know same as me human contact emphasizes sense of empathy and sameness social contact emphasizes sense of differentiation and differentiation becomes extremely important and and refined you know to subtle degrees of it who's the most casual the most laid back you know <laughs> who is the most iconoclastic you know, so forth so you know depending on what the the tribe is of tribal game is about when these uh, then these all these issues then you know become if you like structures that we then are giving our lives to keep them going so you give your life energy to keep these this social structure of who you are who one is going so like if you're a rock star that means you've got to smoke a lot of dope do cocaine have a few breakdowns you know abortion or two fast cars accidents I mean it's hard work (laughs) you know you couldn't just have knit sweaters and you know (laughs) do cosy things with your mum so you know you've got to really be out there and be outrageous so and then of course the states keep coming up going up don't they you know you've got to be a little more outrageous or burnt out or absolutely derelict you know you can really sing the blues. <laughs> um, so, so whatever it is, you get a sense of these these things actually start to consume us. Yeah. And these, you know, I'm talking in perhaps extreme terms. And then, you know, I don't say they. Hopefully, they don't completely consume us. They don't. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here, for example. But you certainly get, you can see this in the case of people who are into power, power politics, um, economic power, completely consumed by something that might originally have served a purpose, like having enough money to get what you need, but then you've got three billion, you know, and wouldn't it be nice to have five billion? (laughs) Because the thing has taken over, and one is tyrannised by a a structure which was, was, might originally have had a purpose, because social structures do have some kind of purpose but when they become a complete identity then they run away and you just find your life is serving them and there's never enough there's never a stop because they're not about appreciating the here and now they're about performing better and getting better and competing and even competing against yourself against your previous level so your stakes keep going up there's not so that these this uh, this structuring the tyrannical structuring there's no appreciation in it because it's set up to as a drive towards some some excellence but of course every time you get there it keeps moving further on So, 
when we come when this when we when that begins to take over the meditation so we meditate or practice cultivate in some form or another then you know the idea is to say get better or get enlightened or get calmer or get samadhi or get tranquil or get knowledge or get empty or get something or the other so you know now if that's taken on in this uh, you know those notions and senses are taken on in in this same system then those also become tyrannical we take them personally these also become tyrannical Mm. no appreciation um, of where we're at no recognition of uh, skill uh, no ability to enjoy or limited ability to enjoy present moment no sense of actual human connection you know hey there's fellow beings here this is really nice in common retreats we find that other people are then people who are going to irritate us by existing cough, sneeze, whinge weep, fall over leave their shoes in the wrong place, crumple, rattle things that human forms can do and everything's going to get on my case stop me from getting to the ultimate goal (laughs) (laughs) there are all these other heedless people who aren't as mindful as I am so you see how you know this whole sense of goal orientation and performance starts to make our present moment rather uh, sour and worthless the mind is then settled into a state of discontent the mind is discontent it doesn't settle into meditation properly it's restless, it's cramped, it's tight, it's impatient, it's um, urgent, it's intolerant, it's self-important. You lose some of the warmth, the humour, the empathy, the enjoyment in the present moment. So sometimes it's the case, isn't it? You see that People do a meditation retreat and then, oh, find a bone. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, where's where's the relief? Why why is it relief? You know, why isn't it one, when you came into the meditation? It was, oh, wonderful relief, rather than here we go. You know. <laughs> and then coming out of it, relief. Wouldn't it be nice if it was the other way around? You know, a relief when we came into meditation. A chance to just enjoy ourselves in simplicity. Refuge. Taking refuge. Um, and of course it's not purely a matter of a verbal formula that can do it because it's suggesting in this meditation actually a lot of this structuring, according to radical structuring and social structuring, maybe begins 
with words and ideas and thoughts it, those catalyze particular emotional patterns and have bodily effects so the emotional patterns that come with the, with the, the um, um, strong emphasis on achievement and volition and doing and making and getting better and succeeding and fixing and so forth emotional patterns that go over that are of mild panic and sustained anxiety um, this means that we become um, we lose warmth lose emotional warmth we lose a sense of joy it's not there we lose a sense of graciousness compassion not there and when that's not there so you, the body your bodily sense because you're not getting what should be there you know as a norm to keep you going to keep you alive is joy, warmth, love may I be well that fundamental quality that's if you like there's no reason, there's no possibility of being here incarnate there's no possibility of being alive there isn't something there saying be well you know there isn't something saying look after yourself you know how could we how could we be alive how could we be here there isn't something saying you know um, where's the comfortable look for the pleasant that kind of sense something in us how would this body function if it wasn't able to heal itself when you scratched it it didn't just do this by itself isn't actually the most normal or natural but not necessarily common um, sense is may I be well may this being be well may I and yet uh, emotionally we can lose that we say may I be good may I be perfect may I be better than I am may I get good results from meditation may I get enlightened may I get into fourth jhana but not you know not may I be well um, not going very far is it (laughs) you can't just sit there saying may I be well you're not going to get ahead that way Tyrant's not content with may I be well it's kind of namby pamby kind of aspiration but without it what's the point of being here if we can't have some sense of loving kindness for ourselves what's the point of being here and where would it ever come from if we can't do it now you know when you when you do 
manage to sit through the whatever it is, will you be able to say it then? No, because your mind is not it's not a matter of, of what you've achieved, doesn't do it. You don't get the sense of loving yourself because of what you've achieved. You get it because it's innate. And there's and it, the sense of always having to achieve restricts those emotional channels that are there to just say to yourself, welcome, may you be well, welcome, may you be well. That all that, those emotional channels get restricted, constricted, because there is a panic. Make sure you get there, get on with it, you know. Just kind of what happens emotionally when you, when you bring your mind to bear upon those, those terms, those sounds, those injunctions. I know I can feel it. You know, have you got there yet? Are you going to get there yet? I can sense something that goes rabbit-like. You know, try harder. I'll get there. All right, I'll do it. You know, or the sense of you've been practicing now for ten years. How far have you got? Oh God. <laughs> then five years. Then you've been practicing for fifteen years. How far have you got? Oh dear. Then twenty years, <laughs> and then thirty years, and so forth. And a sense of, you know, something feels you do very well. Now all, all that, that is not capable of saying maybe well. This is anxiety, panic, need to become something, and it's not. It's an emotional constriction. It's emotionally constricted, it hasn't got the capacity to really mean and say and feel simply, may I be well. And feel that run into your body and just enjoy the sense of having been born, being welcome here. And if we could do that and just think of another person and really send that to them wouldn't that be enough wouldn't that be good enough wouldn't that feel good enough now we might very well say well you know the Buddhist teaching goes further than this I wouldn't disagree with that but I would say that you don't go further than this unless you, unless you get to this. <laughs> you know, unless you actually get to this point, you, you haven't really been born properly, you haven't really got here yet. If we do, if we can find this, then, you know, things will start to move along in due course. Called the Buddhist sense of the word is called right view. The Buddha said, "There's no more harmful thing than wrong view." He said, "There is no nothing more harmful than wrong view." A wrong view is codified as um, there's no there's no point in giving. There's no point in offering. 
there's no point in respecting anything there's no value in mother and father there's no um, um, further birth there's no enlightened beings um, so it's a kind of a dead end view there's no fruit to good deeds and these are not just um, philosophical or metaphysical truths these are more like emotional statements about the emotional aridity pointlessness valuelessness uh, there's no value in I can't bring anything forth that's of any worth I can't offer anything to there's nobody worthwhile offering anything to there's nobody to be grateful to there's nobody to feel connected to and uh, there's no point in continuing life anyway you know. and uh, you know sort of emotional cul-de-sac and what it does is it, it cuts away the basis of cultivation which is to say there is a point <coughs> the real value that you will feel if you attune to it there is a value in doing good in the act of doing it not because you get paid back in the future but the very quality of what goodness <coughs> is about is it makes me feel good to be generous to protect you to be concerned for your welfare I like that feeling I like that sense of of grandness I, I feel full in that I lift, I'm lifted with that I feel purpose in that so, you know, I feel emotionally present and resonant with that whether you like it or not is you know I can't I can't dominate that I can't say whether it's going to happen or not but I, I feel value in that and uh, being able to um, bear in mind these things all of us have done many good deeds most of us have probably done a few foolish things but all of us have done some good and these are to appreciate that in us which enjoys the good probably doesn't even notice it because we uh, take it for granted as you know we don't really tend to it the very sense that brings us here the ability to that quality of uh, committing ourselves of letting go of things and coming to a situation that is really socially very awkward we're not in our twos and threes of our family units we're not in our flats and apartments and houses where we know everything is we're not in a situation where we just oh, I feel like a peanut butter sandwich you know. I feel like switching on the telly I feel like going for a walk no. against all these things that kind of you know we're jarring and that's uh, the quality of 
renunciation that one undertakes <coughs> in, in a retreat like this is something to resonate with you know, what is it in me that, that can give up can let go so if you take stock of what brings you into a retreat and honour it and value it you're beginning to sense of enjoyment and appreciation is not based upon sense contact or getting or status it's based upon inner presence and valuing that we do this, we let go of things because we value the chance to become more and more intimate and present with ourselves through whatever that brings you know, the ups and the downs this is something to, to reflect upon so taking refuge you know, reflect upon these these uh, uh, qualities in yourself, in the teachings. Uh, try to bring to mind this emotional measure. May I be well? What would that mean? And then bringing it into your body. Could there just be a little more sense of? freedom or openness in my bodily sense <coughs> this is something I'm carrying I don't need to carry right now this is some way I could give myself a blessing uh, rather than uh, another weight to carry now if we all Incline that way, then the presence, our group presence, has a tremendously empowering effect upon us because we can hear we are in the very arena of social contact. You know, here we are with all these other people, and so our social contact buttons can start working. You know, the comparisons and uh, or we could just become human go to the human quality of it (coughs) people experience physical pain people with ailments, people with allergies people with griefs sorrows Problems of various kinds. I mean, you know, somebody somebody stick their hand up who hasn't got any of these in this list. You know, <laughs> it's all there, isn't it? You know, so when we recognise this in each other. Isn't it something compassionate and loving that can be aroused by witnessing? We've all come here to be with with ourselves in these states something that honours and admires each other for this and you can actually dwell retreat situation becomes something that carries that group quality of loving kindness compassion and respect and uh, sit in it take it in 
it's a matter of attuning rather than fixing just tonight to finish with a mantra recitation a few minutes and uh, this one is the we'll do this a few times during the retreat vocalising is a good way to get some energy moving around and being able to vocalise means when I say something then a bit of me is reaching you we're contacting you know I'm exposing this little bit of me um, and you're touching you somewhere so a sense of sharing each other um, so mantra is a very simple way of doing this in, in a group of sharing each other's presence being prepared to come out and present ourselves and mingle um, and this mantra is, is simply the four Brahma Vihara Metta Metta, loving kindness Karuna, compassion, mudita, empathic joy, appreciation of others, uh, and upeka, equanimity, the ability to hold the space, hold the space open. So we just start this and um, pick it up as we go along. Amen. Hey. 
Thank you.